History happened everywhere. The verdict. This is our after show podcast where we look back at the most recent episode, number 69, Easy Does It in North America during 10,000 BCE. So if you haven't listened to that, go back and check it out or else you will find spoilers ahead. But, well, sorry. Well, yeah, sorry. Hello, my name is Pete Goddard and I'm here in the HHE studio with the woolly mammoth to my delay. It's Mr. Ryan Weir. That's an obscure reference, Peter. It is an obscure reference. Do you want to uh, share the answer as to what that is? It's from a character from the film 10,000 BCE, isn't it? It is, it is. I did some research and came up with that and was very pleased with myself. Right. And we are, of course, also joined as ever by the delightful decreer of destinies. It's the judge himself, Mr. Paul Dursley. Hello, Paul. Good evening. Now, uh, since last week, Ryan, I've been bumped by a bison and forgotten everything about the last episode. So would you mind reminding us what happened in about, I don't know, 60 seconds? You want to keep out of the way of those bisons, but yes, I can. When do you want me to do that? Mm, Now. In this week's prehistoric peek into the past, we dove headfirst into a bison death trap, feasted on a smorgasbord of delectable meats, fruits and nuts, met the stipdonk who knuckle-hopped his way to world domination, and stopped by Cobblestone County to meet the Stone Age man whose yabba-dabba-doo attitude best embodies the spirit of Easy Does It in North America in 10,000 BCE, and all while we sipped some pine needle tea, marvelled at the weight of a trillion ants, and swayed to the dulcet tones of Woody that was last week's episode done Summarised nicely, nice one son Now we're over to a young Dursley Who's gonna tell you what he thought of me He'll take you apart without any care He's the lovely Paul Dursley The lovely Paul Dursley Yes, it's all coming back to me now. Uh, I particularly admired uh, the stip donk knuckle jump. <laughs> the what, sorry? <laughs> the stip donk knuckle jump. It's easy for you to say. <laughs> uh, but as ever, my opinion is worthless. It is ground into the dust. What we really are here for is the views of Judge Dursley. Mm, the wisest of our tribe. The w- exactly. Our, our head man, if you, if you will. Our shaman. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Dursley, what did you think? Well, I... I was a bit hot and cold on this episode, I'm afraid. Oh dear. What was the hot? Let's start with something upbeat. Can we start with the cold? (laughs) And end with the cold and not mention the hot. (laughs) Uh, Yes, we can start with the cold as that's clearly your preference. Off we go. Well, yes, it was the bit about the Flintstones. It went on a bit. Ah, too much on the Flintstones. (laughs) <laughs> well, yes, I immediately picked up on, you said something like two million years ago. And I <laughs> yeah. was saying, well, that contradicts your 47,000 <laughs> years ago that you said before. And it didn't actually twig. And then a few seconds later, I re- I realised. <laughs> yeah, uh, I was sat here opposite Peter and his eyebrows <laughs> shot up. I, it was interesting, though. Like As I was pulling this together, I knew that I wanted to do something around the Flintstones because during my research, I discovered that it absolutely lands <laughs> in 10,000 BCE. Yes, I remember the Flintstones. Who was your favourite Flintstone character? Was it Mr. Slate? No, it was the the dragon they used to put out at the end. The saber-toothed tiger? I think you may be conflating Dino the purple... What, you said he was had a name. Snorkosaurus. Snorkosaurus. Yeah. No, yeah. it was called Dino. And I remember, always remember as a 
child shouting, don't forget to put the cat out. <laughs> yeah. And then they used to put it out. <laughs> but Ryan, I think you mentioned after the show that uh, it wasn't just the, the cartoons that you were referencing. There was actually sort of a broader canon of material, if you like, for the Flintstones. So uh, as part of my initial research, I was looking for 10,000 BC, right? That was just, just to see what comes up. And of course, there is the movie by Roland Emmerich, which you referred to at the very beginning of this. Cleverly. Very <laughs> sure. <laughs> I'm afraid I know nothing of that. The only one I know is a million years BC. The Raquel Welsh one? Yes. This is another one, 10,000 BC. And it, so this was a high concept movie about what was life like in 10,000 BC. And somewhere along the way, he moved slightly towards mammoths being used in the creation of the pyramids. And <laughs> at that point, I <laughs> sort of went, maybe I, I'd be stretching it to include, to also not set in North America. But the pyramids weren't, 10, 000, weren't 12,000 years ago. You've joined us at this point <laughs> in my realisation <laughs> that maybe it wouldn't have been the most accurate and I wouldn't have perhaps got the best grade if I'd used that. So, yeah, so I didn't do that. I did go with the Flintstones instead. That was a good choice, though. And I have some stuff to talk to you about the Flintstones. I'm all ears. So shall I tell you about that after this? So anyway, talking about the Flintstones. Which we were. And, you know, I tried to bring it into reality. Like, what would it be like if they really had discovered this world of bedrock? I would love, I'm looking forward to the day an archaeologist uncovers a pelican with a bunch of crockery in its beak. <laughs> <laughs> Well, in California, halfway between San Francisco and San Jose is a town called Hillsborough. So Hillsborough is an exclusive community of about 11,000 residents. It's ranked fifth in the national ranking of America's richest places to live. Wow. The average house value is around $5 million. Okay, so we won't be moving in yet soon, but uh, nevertheless. Not yet, no. Well, in 1976, an architect called William Nicholson, he came up with the idea of building a house in Hillsborough by creating like a structure moulded from giant balloons, wire mesh and rebar, and then spraying it with concrete. And it created this bizarre modernist building that's like a bulbous architecture with dome roofs and organic shaped windows. It's really odd to look at, like, kind of beautiful in a way, but also extremely striking. And because of its eccentricity, right, this building, it, it shocked the locals. They just saw it as an eyesore. But the house became notorious. People would come out of their way to go and see this house. And in 2017, one of those visitors decided to buy it. Now, this new owner was called Florence Feng. And she was sadly grieving the loss of her husband and she was looking for a, a way that she could sort of change her life in a new direction. And she thought, well, this would be the perfect place for me. So she settled in and immediately wanted to make some improvements to it. So she considered making like a vineyard or planting cherry trees, but then settled on another idea. And in an interview, in her own words, she said... I was watching The Flintstones, and the first episode is Fred with Dino. And I said, Dino should be here. Fred should be here. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Who wouldn't think that? And so, to her neighbour's horror, that's what she did. She turned her already bizarre house into what became known as The Flintstones House. She commissioned fibreglass statues of Fred, Wilma, Barney, Betty and Dino. <laughs> she had giant letters on her lawn that said Yabba Dabba Do. Of course she did. I mean, <laughs> It would be yeah. naked without it. <laughs> she added a posse of 15 feet tall metal dinosaurs. 
She then added a second larger Fred statue. She also put in an astronaut, a moon rover, a spaceship and the Great Gazoo, who was the alien character from the cartoon. I feel like she's gone off brand a bit with the space rover. (laughs) Yeah, she said, I wanted to decorate with the past and the future combined together in harmony. Had she, in fact, just lost her mind entirely? I guess she hadn't heard of the Jetsons, because that would have been the, the alternative. So there's also a giraffe, a woolly mammoth, a Bigfoot, several dozen concrete mushrooms, a handful of ornamental pigs, a triceratops, and a pair of pterodactyls keeping watch over some dinosaur eggs which are nestling in a juniper bush. Okay. Oh, and inside the house... <laughs> are full-sized replicas of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, a glass octopus on the wall of the foyer, and a plastic chicken that waddles around the house laying eggs. In March 2021, the town of Hillsborough filed a lawsuit against Mrs. Fang, saying that she... She's saying, stop. (laughs) No, they didn't. I'm sure they say, yabba-dabba, don't. (laughs) (laughs) And they said that she had failed to obtain proper permits and basically declared her home a public nuisance and a highly visible eyesore and not in keeping with community standards. Anyway, in response, Fang hired an attorney and threw a press conference accusing the town of racial discrimination and harassment and promised to file a very ferocious counterclaim. She said, I'm a tired old lady. I just want my peaceful life. I'm a very, very regular retired old lady. But of course, a little different. A little bit, yeah. So, Ryan, I I received some rabbit food and some dried up foreskin in the post. (laughs) Yeah, sorry about the foreskin. I meant to put in bison jerky. Oh, yes. yes. So are you going to try some? You're going to try some uh, food? Well, I've got I've got it. I've got it all here. Although I'm not going to eat the bison jerky for the simple reason there is something growing on it. Oh, I thought it would last. We said that it would last forever. (laughs) I'll send you a picture of that. So what you've got there is you've got some hazelnuts. Oh, yes. Which is a pity as I don't eat nuts. And some pine nuts. (laughs) (laughs) And some sunflower seeds. Which are nuts. nuts. (laughs) Are you allergic to nuts? No, I'm not allergic. I just don't like them. Ah. Okay, good. Uh, I, I thought maybe I, I was trying to murder the judge. <laughs> I have what people with a peanut allergy should have. I get anywhere near peanut butter. It just makes me want to vomit. Ah, uh, okay. I have to say, I found the nuts and seeds and fruits absolutely delicious. I I was ready for, oh, this is all a bit flavourless and bland, but it was really nice. The hazelnuts were sweet and juicy. It was great. It was a good diet, wasn't it? It was. One of the things that we did talk about, though, about food was Paleo-American coprolites. Oh, yes. The yes, fossilised yes. poop. And amongst the bones of small mammals, they also found evidence of parasites. Yes. And so there were three types of parasites that were found. Uh, The first was nematodes or roundworms. And uh, an infection of roundworms can result in basically abdominal pain, diarrhea, sometimes malnutrition due to the fact that the worms are competing with you for the nutrients in the intestine. It's one of the largest of the parasitic worms as well, with uh, some of the adult females reaching lengths up to 35 centimetres long. But it's not the longest. The longest is the kestodes, commonly known as tapeworms. Oh. Yeah, you'll have heard of these. Ribbon-like parasites, typically caused uh, by consuming undercooked or raw meat. 
Now, most infections cause only mild symptoms such as diarrhea and weight loss, but in some severe cases, you can get anemia or even a case where the tapeworm larva invades the brain or muscle tissue and forms cysts. Ooh. The longest tapeworm ever removed from a human host was a fish tapeworm, which measured an astonishing 25 metres. That's 82 feet in length. That's so much worm to have in you. <laughs> it's incredibly unsettling. That's pretty awful, isn't it? Uh, uh, now, I could always remember as a kid hearing a story about somebody who had one, and when they opened their mouth, you could sort of see it. Yeah. Oh. Well, there's what loads of those sort of things, isn't there? Like you could put a plate of meat on the floor and you hold them by the legs and it would come <laughs> out their mouth and stuff like that. I don't know how much of that's true. But in 10,000 BCE, they didn't have much in the way of modern medicine. In fact, no modern medicine. And so, yeah, it would normally have resulted in like serious illness or even death. It's thought that they may have used various traditional methods, though, to try and get rid of the worms. There's evidence of them eating some plants which contain antiparasitic properties like wormwood, black walnut and cloves. But all of this, though, pales in comparison to some other parasites which live in animals, like the tongue-eating isopod that enters a fish's mouth, attaches itself to the base of the tongue, stops the blood supply, which causes the tongue to atrophy, at which point it effectively becomes the fish's new tongue. Yeah, I have heard of that in the past, and I wish I hadn't. And thanks for the reminder, is all I can say there. <laughs> Who said that? Was that you or your tongue? Uh, well, there, there are some of those sort of things in the natural world, aren't they, that are much worse than anything ha- that's ever been thought up by a human. You think of something nasty, I, uh, we, you could probably point to an animal or a creature that's much, much worse. Well, famously, those wasps that lay their eggs in caterpillars and spiders and stuff. Yes. Yeah. Horrific stuff. Nasty. Nature, you nasty. Now. You mentioned, Ryan, that the film 10,000 BC featured mammoths helping build the pyramids, and you were concerned because that was not 10,000 BC. Or in North America. Or in North America. Or ever happened. Or ever. (laughs) Well, not quite or ever happened. Certainly, I would agree, it never happened. But did you know that there were woolly mammoths alive at the time of the building of the pyramids? At the pyramids. Not at the pyramids, no. They weren't in the location. So I did a little bit of a mammoth digging. And what I found out was woolly mammoths were woolly to Mm. help with the cold. Brilliant. That's that's the quality of research you get with me. Unlike elephants, they had little ears because elephant ears are designed to help dissipate the heat, actually, in Africa. Okay. They didn't need that, so they had smaller ears. And they think they had a lump on their back. It was like a camel-like lump for when they went through hard times. But uh, the the important thing is they supposedly went extinct on the mainland about 10,000 years ago. But there were small pocket populations on various islands, isolated particularly from human contact. So where they think the last of the woolly mammoths was, was a col- what they call a terminal colony on a place called Wrangell Island, north of the Siberian mainland. And they think that there there were mammoths thousands of years after they died out everywhere else in the world. So they would be, have been alive at the time of the building of the pyramids, about 1600 BC. Obviously not at Gaza, the Giza, they were elsewhere, but they, uh, they existed at that time. And in this little island, they, there were some researchers, someone called Rebecca Rogers and Montgomery Slatkin, and they looked at the DNA from a 4,300-year-old mammoth from Wrangell Island and a much older mammoth, a 45,000-year-old mainland mammoth, 
And they found basically in the DNA of the Wrangell Island mammoths, what you would expect to see, which is it was a small population of, they think, 300 or so animals. So they had inbreeding, basically. So they found mutations within these animals that made them think they probably affected their sense of smell. Some of the proteins in their urine, which may have involved problems with their territorial marking and may have caused behavioural issues. And also they found a, a mutation, which you also see in rabbits, I guess, which makes your fur look kind of creamy coloured and shiny and loses its core, I guess, a little bit of the hair, and potentially also affects its uh, insulating properties. So basically you had a small island of inbred mammoths that lasted for years and years. So actually, mammoths at the time of the pyramids, yes. Mammoths at the pyramids, not so much. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Inbred mammoths. There you go. I want to tell you guys about Woody Guthrie. I want to hear about Woody Guthrie. So during the episode, you mentioned that Woody Guthrie fought in World War II. I did. About how he went to World War II with a guitar on which he'd written, This Machine Kills Fascists. I I felt self-doubt after having said that. But uh, it's true. It it happened. He did do that. Uh, He didn't write it on it. It was a sticker that he applied. Uh, But he didn't fight in the war. He actually served in the US Merchant Marines, a civilian auxiliary to the US Navy. Basically, he was responsible for transporting cargo and personnel across the Atlantic and through the Mediterranean. Well, as we know from the Red in the Atlantic episode, that was no mean feat on its own. Very true. Uh, In fact, he experienced some action in 1943 when aboard the SS William B. Travis in the Mediterranean Sea, uh, a German U-boat fired a torpedo at the ship. It hit the ship, but didn't detonate. Oh, man, that must be a heck of an experience. Watch this thing come hissing through the water and go, donk. (laughs) The pause of, is it? Oh, Hold on I think to we're something. okay. <laughs> yeah, well, no no casualties. They they were able to sail on. So, yeah, quite, quite incredible. Uh, he actually served for two years before being discharged, but he re-enlisted a year later and was later drafted into the U.S. Army. Uh, but he was discharged soon after when he was found to have early symptoms of Huntington's disease, uh, which is the illness which ultimately killed him aged just 55. During his lifetime, Guthrie wrote up to 3,000 songs, many of which haven't been published. But of those 3,000, 26 songs he wrote in one month in 1941 and was aimed at promoting the benefits of dams and hydroelectric power. Well, I'm always game for a pro-hydroelectric power ditty. 26 of them. (laughs) I'd run out of rhymes for dam, probably on song three. (laughs) Yeah, it was a commission for a documentary about managing hydroelectric power in the Pacific Northwest. I feel I can (laughs) when I'm on the dam. (laughs) And I am. Go on. Opening a can. (laughs) (laughs) I'll stop there. Yeah. (laughs) So, talking about things people would eat 10,000 BC, when I was looking at the film 10,000 BC, I ran across a TV show called 10,000 BC. Oh, okay. This was on uh, British television. I see which... where you've been doing your most of your research. I it's know. It's just Netflix, isn't really it? really mostly watching stuff on it. It was Apple <laughs> TV, I think this was. Okay. But originally on Channel 5 in the UK. 
Right. So a bunch of British modern people were parachuted in inverted commas, taken to the woods in Bulgaria, I think it was. Okay. And said to said to them, "You have to survive as cavemen, essentially." Ten thousand BC. Wait, is this to, a drama or this was a reality show? Oh, right. So, That's the bit I'm missing out. Yeah, oh, yeah. I thought there was like some stone age culture that was still there in bulgaria no not at all what they did is they set up a camp in bulgaria in the woods took a bunch of hairdressers and plumbers and shop fitters from parts of the uk and said you're cavemen now <laughs> uh, and it will shock you to learn it yeah. did not end well with the oh. majority of them not making it to the end of the show right. uh, they had to give them blankets when their animal skins started <laughs> very quickly being absolutely coated in maggots and worms oh my lord <laughs> uh, they were pretty much starving so they had to give them some food and all in all it was a bit of a disaster but uh the reviews though are worth it so one of them says it might make you wish you lived in a time before television <laughs> ah. <laughs> uh, another one said it's a fabulously funny program packed with deluded dipsticks who truly believe that camping in a bulgarian forest will turn them into the real life fred flintstones wow so they were like hunting animals and stuff i'm not sure if they hunted the animals they were certainly at one point faced with a deer carcass in which more than one reviewer picked up the one choice quote from a participant who said i'm going to take the bum out and tie a knot in it what does that mean i don't know that was how he thought he had to dress a deer i guess oh <laughs> But I guess, uh, how how would you fare in similar circumstances, Paul and Ryan? Well, I just wonder how a programme could be made with all the health and safety stuff today. They must have signed some enormous waivers. They had a lot of medical staff on hand, I believe, and they were quite necessary by all accounts. Yeah, I think I'd be okay. I think I'd be all right. I'd probably look out for animals. I don't want to be killing an animal, but I'd be the lookout guy. I'd be like, look, there's one over there. I've got quite good eyes. <laughs> so did they have to kill any animals? Uh, I'm not clear on that. I'd have to investigate. But the lookout role, I don't think appeared, Ryan. <laughs> yeah. And have someone just going, look, there's a deer over there. You don't you might know what happened then. Nobody knows. I'd, I fancy myself as a flint, a flint napper. I thought you were going to say Flintstone. <laughs> uh, no, I can nap Flint. I've seen videos. I th think I could be up for that. It's supposed to be incredibly difficult. Well, I've got skills. Yeah, not many. <laughs> I saw it on a YouTube video. That makes puts me ahead of the pack, I reckon. I actually looked into getting a Flint napping toolkit for you so that you could make your own spear point Isn't that on the show. A, just a Flint. <laughs> And it's another flint. It's two flints. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's like a little hammer thing as well. You have oh, like yeah. it, you have an, an a, a deer antler comes with it. You can buy it on Amazon or other such places, and it's a kit with instructions how to do it. And I thought, well, you could maybe do it during the show, but then I just thought all the way through the show, we're just going to be hearing thunk, thunk, <laughs> chip, thunk, thunk. And probably me swearing as I fling chips of flint into myself or bits of your finger across the room <laughs> that stuff is sharp yes why is flint so sharp well it's it's how it's formed isn't it it's an igneous rock so basically it's glass oh is that what it is yeah so it's, it's sharp because it's effectively a super a super cooled liquid like glasses mm. So I used to have flints in my back garden as a small child. Yeah, I used to delight in whacking them together to make sparks. Mm. But if I slam two pint glasses together, I don't get sparks. You say cheers. <laughs> Why is that, Paul? I suppose probably if you actually had physical large rough lumps of glass mm. akin to lumps of flint, they might actually spark. Oh, Interesting. Okay.
Okay, well, this is all fascinating stuff, Ryan, but we have come to the end of the line, and it's time for you to step into the dock and prepare to face the judge. Judge Dursley, I must ask, are you ready to give your verdict? Yes, I think I am. Will the defendant please rise? I have risen. Your Honour, as usual, we can start proceedings by first of all asking for your verdict on the factual content. Wow. Some of which was fictional, I would just observe. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> well, I, I, don't, I don't need to be reminded, Peter. I think, given that 30% of the episode was fiction. <laughs> 30%?! <laughs> I'm going to hold this back for my plea. I'm getting a pen and I'm going to start writing He's my plea now. genuinely writing a plea out. <laughs> <laughs> You can't plead. He's um, drafting a speech. <laughs> so, I'm afraid I'll have to give you a D plus. D plus, okay. Well, uh, that's okay because we've still got entertainment value and frankly it was a very entertaining episode. But what did you think, Mr Dursley? Actually, I liked your little skits in it this time. I, I think they were they were rather good. I quite I quite like your Mr. Chumley Warner. <laughs> that picture I will give you a B minus. Ooh, B minus. Oh this is a this is a wide ranging episode. Anything could happen here. Especially with item three, the ever unpredictable Dursley Factor. What uh, what was unique to you on this Paul? Well, this it was an it was an awkward one on two counts, wasn't it? The time scale was was a long while ago, and it was a very large area to cover, and a very few items were picked, of which one of them was totally fictional, and the other seventy percent weren't. So I think for factor. I'm going to go straight down the middle and give it a straight C. C. This has been an interesting trio. Now, before the judge passes, I feel that it's almost pointless to ask if you would like to enter a plea. Clearly you want to enter a plea. (laughs) Please begin. Okay. I just want to say 30% of the episode was not on the Flintstones. It was the last bit. I left it at the very end well, because of course I knew you're right. that you'd 30%, be upset. 30% of the episode was this not This is my about plea, the, Your Honour. Yes, but you just you just don't understand mathematics. 30% of it was not the Flintstones. It's a perfectly valid statement. <laughs> what is fact? <laughs> what is fiction? How do we know that the Flintstones weren't real? You don't know. We just haven't discovered it. Yes, yes, I, yes, I do. There's a lot that is unknown about early man, uh, Paleo Americans, and a lot of guesswork has to be made. I rest my case. So you were, be, you were, you were being disingenuous and lying. I must ask Ryan. Did you think that helped? Not at all. Not even slightly. <laughs> Okay, Your Honour, the defendant stands before you, shaking with rage and righteous fury. (laughs) I must ask, have you reached a verdict? Yes, I think you ought to sit down. In that case, I ask respectfully for your ruling. I'm sorry, Ryan. I was going to give you a C-, but I'm not. I will give you... D. (laughs) That is outrageous. This was not a D episode. I know a D episode. This was not a D episode. This is a travesty. I want it in the record. I completely disagree. Okay, write it in the book, Ryan. D brackets, 
travesty. <laughs> oh my well, goodness! I told you what it would have been if you hadn't of. It wouldn't have made much difference, would it? A C minus. <laughs> this court is rigged. This court is slightly un- unorthodox. I would admit. <laughs> Okay, now you've calmed down. I think we can now say that is the end of our show for this week. If you'd like to get in touch about any of the things we've talked about on the show or just say hi, you can reach out to us on social media through the website, hhepodcast.com, or you can email us at Pete and Ryan at hhepodcast.com. That's right. We absolutely love hearing from you. And you never know, you might end up featured on a future show like you, Brudersan, who posted on our subreddit page the video that he's made of our little Easy Does It sketch. It's an amazing piece of work. I was delighted when I saw that and we will be posting that also on Twitter and Instagram and everywhere else we can get it to load. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's basically taken the sketch and just added visuals to it and it, it looks, looks fantastic. <laughs> yeah, that must have taken a lot of time. So thank you, you Brudasan. Thank you indeed. Now, if you don't feel the urge or you have the skills to make videos for us, which we would understand, you can still feature on a future episode by rating and reviewing the show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Your recommendation can really help us bring the show to new listeners, which we would love. Yeah, we do love new listeners. Now, if you're on Mastodon, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, any of the social media, you can find us at HHE Podcast. And if you subscribe to those, you're going to get an alert every time we post any trivia tidbits, news, photos, videos of Chris Stipdonk, whatever we got. We got the we got the lot. This Chris Stipdonk video in particular is worth watching because I hadn't quite appreciated quite how impressive the seal hopping was until I saw it. It was after I saw him do it and I tried to do it myself. That's when I realised how impressive <laughs> it was. <laughs> now, we'll be back again soon with our next episode, which is The topic is green, the country is Papua New Guinea, and the time is the 21st century. Super easy, that one. Yeah, it sounds great, doesn't it? We'll see. But in the meantime, a huge thank you to the judge himself. Thank you, Paul. Goodbye. (laughs) And that is it. I guess all that's left to say is... You've been listening to... So, Ryan, you mentioned uh, Mastodon. Yes. Now... I hate to say this, but I'm not really sure what a mastodon is. Is it the same as a mammoth? I know, I know, uh, I could look it up, but I'm sure that uh, in your extensive research you found out. So no, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did mention mastodon many times. You're looking very twitchy there, Ryan. Well, I don't know. So, <laughs> all right. So my understanding of a mastodon is is that it's like a cousin of the elephant. So they're very similar, but there are some differences between them. So I think like the they have a different jaw and I think like their feet are slightly different or the shorter legs or something like that. It's a bit like uh, Homo sapiens and Neanderthal. So they're similar, but different species, subspecies. I Branches. Should we just ask the lady in the internet? I think we probably should. Okay. Elephants and mastodons are large mammals from the order Proboscidea, but elephants belong to the family Elephantidae while mastodons are part of the extinct Mammutidae family. The two have distinct physical and evolutionary differences, including tusks, teeth, and body structure. Thank you. Alright, well there you go. There you have it. So you are almost right. Yeah. Tip
Tschüss.